Hey there, you're listening to More Than Potential, the podcast. On this show, we talk about mental health, well-being, and self-improvement from a Gen Z perspective. I'm your host, Faith. So it looks like congratulations are in order because I quit my job. Yeah, I said goodbye, sayonara, see you later. I was so over that job. It was incredibly toxic for me. And so just to be clear, let me tell you about what I did. So my job was, um, how do I say this? So I was in business management, more specifically operations, and I was a supervisor. So I had a whole team of people that I was, you know, in charge of managing and leading. And I was um, in charge of managing these individuals, making sure they did the right things. They were in compliance with a lot of federal regulations. I did audits. I did a bunch of different stuff. So in my industry, I am an outlier. My industry is very much white and male. So as a minority, it was always very interesting being in an industry that like I'm hardly ever represented in. It was... I think in retrospect, a red flag, but I don't know. I just think that whenever you go into a situation and you know that there's not many people or anyone that looks like you, you should be a little skeptical and be a little bit on guard. And, you know, I was right for feeling that way. So how did I know that this job wasn't for me? Well, simply put, I had a lot of anxiety at the beginning. So when I first started I was unsure of a lot of things. I was nervous and excited, but then it turned into anxiety fairly quickly. I remember, you know, getting a company phone and a company laptop and being very anxious all the time. My anxiety got so bad that I actually avoided checking my emails. Like I would wake up in the morning and I'd have like hundreds of emails from people. They all seemed extremely pressing and that they demanded my attention right at that moment. And what further exacerbated my anxiety was the fact that, like, I was fully expected to have this phone on me 24-7 and answer at all times of the night. It didn't matter. I was essentially on call. And in a way, when I think about it, my pay was not commensurate of that experience. Like, if you are putting so much responsibility on someone to the point where they're on call 24-7, I would hope that they would get paid more, you know? But that was just me. So, yeah, all the anxiety at the beginning, it was constant. It didn't let up. And I always felt like I was on the brink of something bad happening or getting in trouble. You know, it just, it it had me stressed out. There was a point where in my experience, I got really ill. Like I got sick. Um, I remember my, my behavior changed. I became withdrawn and I stopped talking to people. I stopped trying to leave the house. You know, I stopped foregoing a lot of things that I would normally do as part of my routine because I was depressed and sad. Like I, I legitimately hated going to work. And I remember, you know, feeling sick to my stomach, having to walk into work every day. It just was not a good situation. And yes, I did cry at work a few times, not in front of anyone, but I definitely did cry. I was very upset. Um, Another reason I knew it wasn't for me was that I was unsure of who to trust and why. I had no reliable allies. I wasn't quite sure who was going to help me or who was on my side. I just, I didn't know who to trust. It was a very odd situation. Because of what I said at the beginning of having all this constant anxiety due to my responsibilities, I felt like I had no work-life balance. I didn't have 
a lot of people I could trust or rely on that kept me grounded outside of work. I had to move for this job. So I moved, you know, to a completely different state to take it, take this job. And I felt that, you know, given my new surroundings and everything was new, new state, new everything that, you know, it was important to kind of build a group of people around me that could relate to me and that could keep me grounded. So when things got really stressful at work, I could leave work and still have people that cared about me and supported me and that, you know, truly cared about me as a person. But I never developed that that network or that sense of belonging with people in my community. So therefore, I had no work-life balance. I was constantly working overtime. It was just not a good situation overall. Um, so yeah, those were some of the reasons why I felt like it wasn't for me and why I felt that at the end of the day, I needed to leave. When you feel physically ill and it doesn't make you happy, you get stressed out or you dread going to work every day, you need to to reconsider a few things. And granted, some people will tell you, oh, well, maybe if you just talk to your boss and make it, you know, and try to communicate, you know, what can change or what you need to to more effectively do your job. I say try that if you need to, but at the end of the day, if it's not for you, it's not for you. And no amount of like negotiating is going to make it better. Like intuitively speaking, your body knows when you're just not for something and when it's time to move on. So you should listen to that. Um, so more broadly though, I did want to talk about what happens when we stick around for things that don't serve us. And by don't serve us, I mean things that make you unhappy, things that are not nurturing your spirit, things that are draining to you, things that can cause you physical discomfort. I think that's a real problem. And I believe that a lot of us find ourselves seemingly stuck in situations that we really need to leave. When I was talking to a friend about this episode, because I wanted to know what was troubling a lot of people our age. And one thing that she pointed out to me was that sometimes she feels like she's trapped in toxic friendships or in toxic relationships. And she doesn't feel why she doesn't know why she feels a sense of obligation towards these, these relationships and why she has a difficult time letting go. And I thought that was a very interesting statement to make. And it seemed like she was pretty self-aware. She was able to correctly identify that the relationships she were in, she was in, were not, they were not good relationships. And she was also able to correctly identify that, you know, for whatever reason, she felt compelled to stick around. But she wasn't quite sure why she felt compelled to stick around. And so that's what I wanted to kind of to get into on this episode, because I notice this a lot with people, young and old, doesn't matter. We stick around far too long in situations and relationships and jobs and careers where we're not happy and we feel obligated to be unhappy. And I want to know why. To me, it's a little bit difficult to understand just because I've never had a problem walking away from things. Like I mentioned in the first episode, my issue was never walking away from things that were bad for me. It was sticking through the difficult times. And so the one thing I can say that's been interesting is learning when to stick through it and when to grit your teeth and bear it and when to walk away because it's just not going to get better. And for me, that line, at least in this situation, was pretty clear. Like when I left my job to start my own business and go venture out on my own, it was because I understood that my physical health was in question. When you start getting physically sick and there's no real reason why other than your stress, it's time to go. Pack your bags get out of there. Right. It's not, it's beyond just being unhappy emotionally. It's like affecting your physical health. And in the time, you know, during COVID where your physical health is essential, 
that's all you have. That's literally all you have. And, you know, if, if my physical health is threatened, I'm out of there. Lickety split, I'm gone. To me, that's like a hard line. But for some people, it may be difficult to really identify when you're experiencing symptoms in your body that are related to stress because your body can't tell between good or bad stress. So you may feel like you're performing well at your job and that you're being successful, but the stress can really get to you. And even though you may be getting positive results, your body can still be under constant stress to the point where you may need to take more breaks or eventually leave altogether. But I would say in terms of relationships, I believe that we stick around because we feel like we have something to prove sometimes. Um, I remember in a toxic relationship I had with my ex-boyfriend, I felt like I had something to prove. Like I knew that people around me didn't think that we should have been together, that we were not a good fit. And so instead of just admitting that it wasn't working out, I was trying to stick it out as long as possible just to stick it to someone. I was making myself unhappy so that I could prove them wrong. And that didn't make sense because at the end of the day, it was it was just delaying the inevitable. Eventually, I was going to have to break up with them. And eventually I did. But my pride and my ego got in the way. My ego wouldn't allow for me to say, you know what? Maybe you were wrong. Maybe this isn't worth it. You know, I was more afraid of failure and being wrong than it was with living a life that was not authentic to me. And that's a problem. Right. Like you can't make yourself miserable caring about what other people think to that extent like that. That's just not reasonable. But, you know, like I said, some of us, I think our pride is something that we hold on to dearly because some, for some of us, that's all we have. So our pride in ourselves and our pride in what we do and who who we associate ourselves with matters. So when things don't work out, when the, when the friendship is toxic, when the relationship is not working out and, you know, you guys hate each other now we have a hard time admitting that we were wrong and that maybe the people that know us best were right the whole time. We see it as a failure on our part when that's not the case. If anything, a more healthy point of view would be to acknowledge that you learned something from this experience. It was an opportunity to grow and that you should be grateful that you left when you did. You should be grateful that this person showed you their true colors when they did versus spending an entire lifetime with this person and still being oblivious, right? Give yourself credit where credit is due. I also want to say that, you know, some people are ashamed. I think like shame is a is a is a really huge and important emotion in people because I think shame keeps us in situations. Shame keeps us from telling our truth and sharing our story, especially in situations that are not necessarily the healthiest. So it's one thing to be in a toxic relationship, but in a relationship that's a bit more on the abusive side, or maybe we're coming to cope with the fact that it was really, really bad. It got really bad. Some of us could be ashamed. We could be ashamed of the fact that we put ourselves in that scenario to get hurt which is odd because we're kind of like victimizing ourselves all over again. You know, like you're not clairvoyant. You didn't know this person was going to be a dick. Like <laughs> at some point you just have to acknowledge that like you went on the information that you had. And when the situation changed, you had to get out of there. You know, some of us are ashamed that it took us so long to see the truth. Some of us are ashamed that, you know, we are publicly humiliated and, and embarrassed by this person. And by the by the time we decided to walk away, it was too late. Everyone was talking about us. Everyone's laughing at us. We feel like the biggest idiots on the planet. But you know what? You shouldn't feel like an idiot because you should never feel embarrassed for loving and truly caring about someone. When you got the information you needed to walk away and you got the strength to walk away, you did. 
Remember that you actually left a bad situation. There's plenty of people who never will, who will suffer in silence until they die. It happens all the time. There's no time like the present. Don't bemoan the years that have passed that you put in a, in a situation that didn't work out. Embrace that you left when you did. Embrace that, you know what? There's no time like the present. That there's still plenty of time ahead of you. And that you saved yourself more grief down the line by leaving when you did. Regardless of how late, quote unquote, you think it took you. Regardless how long it took you. Um, in terms of staying with toxic relationships too, Besides, you know, feeling like you have to prove something and being ashamed and being embarrassed of the situation just in general. I think that part of the problem, and let's get a little bit deeper here, guys, is that we are trying to fill a void. Somewhere, somehow, you know, some people say it's an attachment style. So you can go back to like your caregivers from when you were a younger person, when you were a baby. But somewhere along the line, you identified with this person. So let's say you're in a relationship with someone and I'll, I'll just use myself as an example because I'm not trying to call anybody out. Okay, let's say for me, for me, what made my relationships toxic in the past was that I was with people who were emotionally unavailable, meaning for whatever reason, whether it was, it was them not being over an ex or them just for whatever reason, not being what it is that I needed emotionally, these people cannot meet me there. They just couldn't meet me there, but I continue to stick with them. Why? If I know that my emotional needs are not being met and that I'm feeling neglected, why continue to stick around? Well, because I kept returning to the scene of the crime. So when I was a younger person, when I was a small child, my parents were not the best at relating to my emotions. You know, they're from an old school era where your emotions don't really count. They don't matter. All that matters is your survival. And as long as you have clothes on your back and food on your plate and a house to live in, you have nothing to complain about, right? So your mental health and your emotions are not what's going to take precedent in a household like that. My parents were in survival mode. And that was just due to their trauma, their experiences of growing up in a, in a low-income neighborhood, in a low-income household. So they're doing the best that they can. And so their best, for whatever reason, just wasn't good enough. I'm sorry, it wasn't. It wasn't. And I remember times when I was a kid where, and this is where the emotional and unavailability comes into play, where all my bids of attention were rebuffed. When I say bids for attention, I mean, there are things that we do and say to, to foster greater connection with the people that matter to us. So a great example of a bid for connection is like, a bid for attention is when we send memes or gifts or TikToks to each other, that is a sign that you want to show someone that's important to you something that made you laugh or something that made you think of them. And all you want is for the person to respond, to, to watch or to engage with that content and respond to you saying that they saw it and that they appreciate you sending it to them, right? It's just an, a simple acknowledgement that you are seen and that you matter to them. Well, oftentimes when I was a, a child, those bids for connection were rebuffed. My parents were preoccupied in their own trauma. They're trying to save themselves, right? They didn't even have time to be there for me in the way that I needed. So oftentimes that meant that whenever my parents hurt my feelings, specifically my mom, I couldn't really reach out to her. And when I would try to tell her that it hurt my feelings, you know, I was accused of being sensitive. And, you know, it was a situation where I didn't feel like I could come to her because I was always going to have my emotions diminished. You know, it was like a competition with them. You know, if I'm sad because of what you said to me, you're going to say, well, you don't have a right to be sad because look at all the things that I'm doing for you. 
or, you know, look at all the things that I have going on right now. I don't have time to deal with your emotions. That was the implication. That was what I, that was the message that I received. And there were plenty of times where, you know, I would try to confide in my mother or my father and I would tell them things going on in my personal life. And I would literally give them a whole rundown of situations and they would just ignore me. Like they wouldn't even respond. It was as, it was as if I had not said anything at all. Like they had no response. They had no, it was like they didn't care. Or they weren't even listening. And so from that experience, I learned that my feelings were invalid and that my feelings didn't matter. I learned that you know, nobody cares what I think. No one cares what I have to say. No one cares what happened during my day and that I shouldn't complain or, or, you know, confide in anyone about anything because they don't care. I just assume that nobody really cares about what's going on with me. And so I would internalize a lot of things and just hold it inside because why well, talk about it? And so the way this plays out in relationships is I ended up returning to the scene of the crime so every time I would be with someone, I would end up attracting people into my life that could not be there for me emotionally. So, you know, I would, for instance, with my ex, I would tell him, you know, try to connect with him on a deeper level and share some things that were a bit more personal about my life because he, I feel like I knew a lot about him, but he didn't know a lot about me. And you know what ended up happening? Absolutely nothing. I would try to make these bids for connection and, and let this person in because I wanted to share with this person who I thought was important to me. Hey, like here's an aspect of my life that you didn't know about. And there seemed to be a general lack of interest. I remember talking to my ex about this because I said, well, you know, I feel like you never asked me about myself. You never talked to me about my life. I'm constantly hearing you talk to me about your life, but you never talked to me about mine. And I'm really trying to let him know, like, hey, like, I feel like you don't care about me. I feel like, you know, I'm just here. Like, I'm a groupie. And the person says to me, well, oh, what did he say? He said, uh, what did he say? He said that essentially he didn't know what to ask. And I was like, what do you mean you don't know what to ask? Like, it's just a basic conversation. Like, you don't even ask anything about me. We can have a conversation and uh, you're just giving me a whole rundown about your life, but you never inquire about me. And he said, basically gave me a bunch of excuses about his lack of real interest in my life or, you know, whatever. Just saying that, oh, well, I didn't know. I don't know what questions to ask. And maybe next time you should tell me what to ask. I'm like, are you for real? You're, you're telling me to tell you what to ask me? What? How does that even make sense? But, you know, that's what I accepted. Um, I dated another guy and it ended up being that this guy was also unavailable to me because I would make bids for connection. So we would sit down and watch TV together and I would, you know, watch shows, for example, I would watch TV shows that I thought he liked. So if he was really, really into like Smallville, if y'all remember that show with, you know, Superman and Lex Luthor and all of them, if he was really into Smallville, I would try and watch those shows with him and independently because I thought that's what he wanted. Like I wanted to watch those shows because, you know, he liked the shows and I wanted to connect with him. I wanted to show him that he mattered to me, but he would not return the con return the same thing. It was something so simple, but those little things matter. When I asked him to watch a TV show with me that I enjoyed because I wanted to show him something that mattered to me, he refused to watch even one episode. Seriously. He looked down on it and he was like, well, why would I want to watch that? And I'm like, well, 
I told him, well, because I, I like that. Or, you know, I wanted to show you what it was like because I thought it would be a new experience for us. And he was not interested. <laughs> so in all those situations, like I said, it was the little things. It was the little moments, just day by day, hour by hour, things that happened where I felt the people in my life didn't care about me. So therefore, I learned that, you know, emotionally unavailable people who could not show up for me emotionally, could not be present with me, were not interested in engaging with me in a certain way, that that was what I should expect from people. And I think in a way, my the, my way of coping was also being emotionally unavailable in a way. So I just learned to deal with it. And I think it really impacted me in terms of how I relate to others. So what is my point in bringing all this up? My point is that, that those relationships were not healthy for me. The good news is after my first relationship, I knew what was happening. I was able to recognize that this person's not emotionally unavailable. This person is not available to me. And now I don't accept it in my relationships. So the next guy that I dated, when he started showing signs of being very similar to my ex, I was like, no. And I broke up with him. So literally we were only together for a few weeks before I was like, yeah, this is not working out for me. So it showed a lot of growth on my part. And I think that in those situations, we had to remember that we're attracting certain people into our life and we're choosing who we want to stay because of things that happened to us in our past that set a precedent for the patterns that we're experiencing now. For me, it was emotional unavailability. For some other people, it may be abuse, right? Verbal or physical. For some people, it may be, you know, abandonment issues that are triggered by their partners. But the point is, is that some of the patterns that were set in our lives by our caregivers directly affect the things that we do and say now. So that explains why some of us have such a difficult time letting go of relationships. And that's not just romantic. It can also be triggered in our friendships as well. Because the same problems I have in romantic relationships are the same problems I have in friendships as well. At the end of the day, this is about your ability to connect with others and what you allow into your life. And I believe a lot of us choose what to accept because of our previous experiences with love and relationships. And we have decided that's what we'll continue to have. And without that, we won't be able to fix what happened to us when we were children. So for me, if I, it was it was subconscious almost. I felt like if I could get someone who was previously emotionally unavailable to me to become available to me, that I won, that I proved that I was worthy, that I was this person that essentially was worthy of being loved because I could change them. When that's not true. I can't worry about changing someone. I can only take them at their word and their actions now. Their actions in the present are showing me what they're capable of and how they can love me. And it's okay to admit when someone is not giving you the love that you need. It's okay to acknowledge that what they're giving you is not enough. It's not sufficient. You're not wrong for thinking that. So these are the reasons why I think that we inherently keep people in our lives that have no business being there. And the only way we can move past it is to do the introspective work that's required in understanding that our motivations are much deeper. It's it's really about our ego. It's about our need to be loved. It's about our need to, to solve some of these inner hurts and resolve these inner hurts from the past. And the only way we can move forward is by realizing what we're doing when we're doing it. So that being said, 
I think my recommendation for a lot of people listening to this is to think about the relationships and the friendships that you're in. Are there any patterns? Think about it. Are there patterns? Are there things that people do and say that remind you of people from your past? If it's like a toxic um, work situation where you're at work, like what is keeping you there? What excuses are you making for staying in that job? Are you making excuses about the economy? Are you saying, oh, the economy's bad, so I can't leave? Are you, you know, saying, well, oh, what about my wife and kids? Do, you know, I have to stay, I have to protect them. Are you actively making changes in your life that will facilitate you leaving? Or are you getting complacent in, in where you are and you're just deciding, hey, I'm going to give up, I'm going to give in, I'm just going to stay at this job because it's comfortable for me. I don't want to leave. And you're afraid of the unknown. It's harder to venture out on your own and get another job than it is to, to stay with, with where you are, even though it could be physically hurting you. I don't know. So yeah, I think a lot of us do have problems letting go of what's wrong for us, but you have to first correctly identify that something's wrong for you, that something's not working, which takes a lot of guts. It does. And then two, it takes a lot of courage to admit to yourself that it's time to go, that it's time to leave. And I think it'll help if we look at the situation for what it did for us instead of looking at how much it hurt us. If you can, you know, express gratitude for the opportunity that you had to learn and to grow from this person and from that experience, and then just gently let it pass on, that'll be a much smoother process than holding resentment and guilt and shame in your heart. Honestly, it doesn't do anything but hurt you further down the line. So that's what I have to say about this topic. I hope that, you know, this was a bit encouraging for you guys because we've all had to move on or let go of people and things and, and situations and jobs in our lives that were just weren't beneficial to us. So if you want to um, contact me or get in touch with me, express your feelings about this podcast episode, please visit at It's More Than Potential on Instagram. You can also visit my blog at morethanpotential.com to read more about these subjects and stay tuned for the next episode. So like I always say, it's time to do the work. So if you're ready, let's get started.